Hello, friends. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Improv and Magic. Again, I'm your host, L.D. Madeira, and today my guest is the wonderfully talented and always amazing Marlene Marcos. I first met Marlene in 2008 when she first arrived at Just the Funny, my home theater, and she's been a major part of the theater ever since. She is a professional actress whose work includes multiple national commercials, various voiceover projects, and she even got to be a stand-in for Amy Poehler. You'll hear about how that experience went. She also teaches acting for the camera at other various acting studios, as well as improv acting at JTF. This woman is such a joy to talk to, and I hope you'll feel the same joy as you listen to our amazing conversation. Here is Marlene Marcos. I'm sitting here in the hallowed halls of my home theater, Just the Funny. Well, I'm actually in the office because I think the acoustics are better. And I'm joined here by my wonderful friend, fellow cast member, fellow director, fellow everything, Marlene Marcos. Hi, Marlene. Hi, LD. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm dandy, honestly. I'm so thrilled. I really am. I'm just as exciting to be with you as always. You are my second guest here on the podcast. Well, how nice. <laughs> yeah, guest number one was uh, was David Christopher. Sure. And you know what's funny? Um, I've known David for 19 years, and I've known you for about 14 years. Has it been that long? Uh, well, you started here in about 2009, right? 2008, actually. Oh, 2008. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so longer than, about 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's always so much fun to see you and David together. <laughs> Yes. And it's always a fun time because the two of you have the biggest brother sister relationship I've I've ever I've ever seen. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, we definitely uh, go at each other's throats sometimes, but yet it's uh, it's definitely an admiration of both of uh, both of ourselves. You know, we we really appreciate each other. We um, we love each other, but it's always there's always something to f- fight about for sure. Yeah, my fondest memories is being uh, together with the three of you in a car, because that's when that's when stuff happens. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's when the fun stuff happens. Crazy stuff happens. Yeah. So um, let's start at the beginning uh, with you. Um, talk to me about where you grew up and what life was like in your in your early years. So, as a child, you mean? Growing up as a child or as an improviser? Uh, let's start with child. Child. Uh, sure. Well, I grew up in uh, in a, a city called Hialeah, Florida. West Hialeah. Whoop, whoop. Uh, 305. And it's a working class neighborhood. And I grew up... My parents were both factory workers at the time. And uh, it was just a very industrial city. So, I was literally surrounded by... The Hialeah Racetrack, which is like the biggest, most impressive landmark in Hialeah. Everybody knows that. That's like where you see the Miami Vice flamingos come from. And uh, and also the factories. And in Miami, or if you're from Miami, uh, you know that Hialeah is also known as Agua, Fango y Factoria, which means lots of rain, uh, lots of mud, because back in the day we didn't really have sidewalks. I don't know what happened there. And, and lots of factories. So it was always a working class neighborhood. What uh, what type of factories did uh, did your parents work in? Uh, my dad made thermoplastics, 
and he eventually became a foreman. And my mom uh, worked, I think at some point, but this is even earlier, she worked to make like crackers and she also, she was making crackers. And I think she also worked in like in frozen foods at some point. So you had stuff to eat at home. Uh, yeah, exactly. There was always frozen food, like Tyson's shit or whatever the hell. Who knows? Um, so you, if I understand correctly, you began in the world of uh, acting at a very young age, did you? Um, I would say so. I think uh, I was probably about 12 mm. when I started. I started here at a theater that's uh, called the, it was called the Coconut Grove Playhouse, which is a huge landmark here. Oh, I remember that theater. Yeah, it's in Coconut Grove, and it's been around since the 20s, and mm-hmm. everybody who has performed there, um, you know, all the great, uh, you know, actors of, of you know, the, the ones that we all know, I mean, like, even from the 50s, you know, and, you know, to the 80s, to the 90s. And then, sadly, around 2006, it closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I began there as a 12, 13-year-old with this camp called the Young Actors Workshop. And I did that for two summers, and it was for, like, intense theater geeks like myself. Mm-hmm. And we were just these budding little thespians and whatnot. And, uh, and I did that, and I fell in love with theater, and I fell in love with performance then. Uh, but that wasn't always the case. Um, really? Yes, really. Do you tell? Uh, you know, and this is a huge testament to even today. Um, when I was like six years old, I took ballet class. Did you really? I did. And I love ballet, and I love performance, and I love dancing. But because I was, um, this is back in the 70s, where all the dance teachers used to have a wooden stick, and they would use that to keep time on the floor, and they would pound the stick on the floor. I didn't know that. Yes. But, But they used to take that stick, and they would also beat you with it. So they would, this is where, where corporal punishment was okay. Um, so they would essentially, they would whack you on the butt or whack you if you didn't do something right. So I had this terrible teacher um, that she would whack me on the butt if I didn't do something right. And I guess I have a Cuban butt. So of course my butt stuck out all the time. <laughs> so I was like, I'm trying, I'm trying, lady, I'm trying. Um, I can't stick my butt in any further. Um, and so she would whack you on the butt and so to the point where I didn't want to go back to dance, mm. even though I loved it. But I had such a terrible teacher mm. then that completely um, stopped me from doing what I loved. Mm. And then it wasn't until like sixth or seventh grade that I had a really great teacher who kind of like reintroduced me to the world of theater. And that was like a really pivotal moment for me. I'm curious, you said that you enjoyed ballet, but uh, I feel like all parents kind of put their daughters through Mm -hmm, ballet because mm -hmm. it's kind of the thing to do for a daughter. Was that you or did you genuinely wanted uh, to try it out? I wanted to try it out because my cousin was in it. So mm. I was like, well, my cousin's in it. I guess right. I got to do it. Right. And I always wanted to be like my cousin. She was like the super overachiever and she always did everything great. So I was like, I guess I'll try this. Um, but I wasn't, I just loved the the, the dance and the, the marvel and the spectacle of everything. Mm. And so, again, when I was like probably in sixth grade, I kind of like had like a little renaissance of like, you can come back to this. Mm-hmm. And that's when I things kind of just evolved for me in a different way. 
So in sixth grade, what were some of the things that you that you did? I had a sixth grade teacher, and her name is Mrs. We Talk. What a great Isn't name. Isn't that a great name? Mrs. We Talk. Mrs. We Talk. What do we do? We talk. We talk. But she was from New York, so it was like, we oh, talk. Oh, even better. Even we better. We talk. We talk. <laughs> um, and uh, she was, t- you know, typical New Yorker with the accent, the coffee in the hand, the whole thing. And she was, she wanted to do a little showcase. She wanted to do a show. She wanted to do something with the kids. So we ended up doing like a whole rendition of like, it's a small world after all. Oh, goodness. I was one of the French can-can dancers. Oh, goodness. And I had my little can-can dress, and I Mm. had my little fishnets, and I was dancing, and that's all I needed to do, and I was fine with that. Wow. And so since sixth grade, did you continue on with it? Was it constant for you? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, LD, I did. I, After that, I was like, okay, I can do this. I was in drama, and I was, you know... I was just like a total drama geek in, mm-hmm. in junior high. I became, you know, thespian president in high school. Were you really? I was Silver Knight nominee in high school. Oh, for, no way. For just for doing a whole news program in high school. And so after that, I um, I just continued. I studied at the, the uh, Coconut Grove Playhouse. Um, and I studied, you know, with other organizations around town and whatnot. And other theaters and you know obviously got my degree in theater and then things evolved from there in different directions yeah, the first time i saw a show at coconut grove playhouse mm. was it was uh, a production of art by <gasps> yasmina reza yes i love that play so much and playing the part of um um i know who you're mark talking. was judd hirsch judd hirsch i have a huge fan of judd hirsch are you really yes absolutely he used to have a show called Dear John. Do you remember yes, that? Of yes, course. and of course Taxi. Of course Taxi, and he also has a he also has a role in the movie Independence Day. You know? Yes, and uh, it's it's a great it's a great role. It's not a big role, but it's an important role. And you know who was also in that? Wasn't George Went also in that? Uh, From Cheers? No, George Went wasn't in no? the production that I saw. Oh, okay, uh, it was with two other actors that I didn't know who they were. But, um, but yeah, but I, I love that play. It's basically three people arguing about a painting, yes. and that's the entire play. I, know. I I love it. That is one of those plays that's I kind of like have um, uh, what I call my actor bucket list, mm. and that's one of the plays that's on my actor bucket list that I hope I get wow. to do someday. There's that, and uh, The Odd Couple, and uh, The Man Who Came to Dinner. I did The Man Who Came to Dinner a couple of years ago with, um, uh, with the local... Um, uh, theater, um, but the part I would really love to play is Sheridan Whiteside. Nice, because I just love that role so so much. Well, I saw you as a young college theater actor. You did. I did. I showed you the ticket stub I had as proof. Was it for I that to, production? It was for um, oh god, the Steve Martin play, uh, Lapina Gilles. Oh yes, uh, um. Uh, what, Picasso at the yeah. That was with that was with a different company, but yeah, I, yes. was, I was the bartender. I saw you in that show. Yeah, so and our our paths crossed very early very on. Very early on. Yep, <laughs> absolutely. I still have my ticket stub. You still have the ticket of stub? Of course. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that was actually my first uh, uh, play with that company. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had some good times with that company. They did a lot of great things there. Um, funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Sure. And I didn't have a big part, but the part that I had, I absolutely loved. Yeah. 
Do you do you miss going back to theater? Uh, you know what? Lately, I've been thinking about it. You know, because I've been talking to my wife about it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah I kind of miss doing a play or, or a yeah. musical. So it's it's been on my mind. It's been on my mind. Yeah, I would love to do a musical too. Yeah, have you ever done a musical? Uh, I did actually. Well, back in college, I did mm-hmm. working, and mm-hmm. I've always done like little snippets of. I think it was. Um, uh, Fiddler. We did mm. a couple of things and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm an actor who can sing. I mean, I'm not one of these like Broadway triple threats by any mm. means, but I do appreciate it for yeah. sure. So going back to high school, uh, what productions did you do that you just absolutely loved? I feel like in high school is when actors really appreciate it even more. Yeah. Sure. I think we did some, I think we did The Good Doctor, we did Medea, we did like some serious Greek stuff. Um, but then it was really in college, for me, is really when things kind of took shape. Mm-hmm. I had a good teacher in high school, uh, and she was great, Carol Volk, um, bless her heart. Uh, and, and then after that, but it was really for me, for, it was college. Mm-hmm. I had some great people around me, and we always made each other better, which is always exciting. Any uh, any productions in college in particular that bring back really fond memories? Oh gosh, yeah, I did. Um, I did Marisol <clears throat> by Jose Rivera. Um, I did uh, Dancing at Lunasa, which mm. was one of my favorites as well. I did Friends. I did Taming of the Shrew. I did, you know, a different stuff, uh, always excited. And of course, um, and then after that, we did some um, California Suite mm-hmm. um, later on, you know, in the community and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember my college years as well. And those are, I would agree with you, those are some of my fondest uh, acting memories. If I had to pick one play that was my personal favorite, it was this one-act play that I did, and it was like my, my senior project, because mm. people that are in the in the theater department, you know, studying in, in theater, in your senior year, you pick uh, what's what they called at Barry University a, um, a senior project, yes, is which it? is kind of like, I guess, the equivalent of like a thesis, in yeah. a way, for actors, mm-hmm. and you get to pick uh, the play. And I was really thinking about it, and finally the play I ended up picking was a play called Danny and the Deep Blue Sea. And I did it with uh, with this wonderful uh, actress named uh, Nieves Feliz. And what I loved about it is that it's a uh, it's it's a very serious play. And I really wanted to challenge myself with that because everyone was very well aware that I I could pull my own in in any comedy. But I really wanted that opportunity to do something that would really show people uh, what right. I can do. I hear you. That's so funny that you should say that because the same, the exact same thing happened to me in college. My senior thesis was none other than Lizzie Borden. Oh, really? So, and for the exact same reason, because I was told, well, you can always do comedy, but why don't you do something more dramatic? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. But I, I was asked to to do that, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the challenge. And it, Lizzie Borden uh, basically, you know, uh, was somebody who was uh, acquitted, but she was accused, essentially, of, you know, murdering her stepmother and her father with an axe. Mm. So why not? Um, and that was in the, uh, back in the 1870s. So that was, uh, that was my challenge to do something like that. Which did you find was, 
I don't know if easier is the right word, but let's just use that unless we think of a better word. Which to you was easier, dramatic work or comedy work? <sighs> wow. I think they're both difficult for different reasons. Mm. Um, I think with comedy, the goal, especially with scripted work, the goal is always to find the rhythm of the piece. Mm. Um, you cannot, you know, every comedy has a rhythm. Every comedy has a speed, a tempo to it. And if you don't honor that, it's it's going to, it could flop. So it's really all about the timing, you know? Um, and, um, and with any dramatic pieces, I mean, although you don't have that pressure of making people laugh and like hitting those, la you know, those jokes or whatnot, but you still have to be emotionally engaged and authentic. Otherwise people won't buy it mm -hmm. so you have to be just your vulnerability levels have to be that much higher than you would in a regular let's say a comedy perhaps mm -hmm. does your approach uh change based on whether it's a comedy or a, or a dramatic piece oh god ellie that's a good question uh well that's why i asked no it. i didn't see that <laughs> um does it change? No, I don't think so because you still approach the work the same way. You have to do your research. You have mm -hmm. to do your research of the play, of the playwright, of the time that it was written, of any, you know, any time period, you know, issues or whatever. And obviously understand the world of the play and understand the world that it's coming from or written in. Um, and once you understand that, and if it's a really good writer, it's easy you know what I mean you don't have and you know the history of the piece it's like it comes a little bit it flows a little bit easier because there's more understanding I think I found that the best comedies are the ones that are performed by actors who are not aware that they're doing a comedy <laughs> right or at least they're aware of it but they're not approaching it as this is a comedic right. piece so I have to turn my comedic actor right. mode on yeah who were some of your favorite comedic actors growing up well, they still are. I mean, you know, it's funny. I recently watched, uh, well, rewatched, I should say, because I love this movie so much. I watched The Birdcage. Yes. And that is like probably the dream team of mm. comedy. You have Robin Williams, you have Nathan Lane, and you have Mike Hank Azaria. Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Absolutely. And what's so great about that is that, yes, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams are so well known for all of the great comedies they do, but... You look at those characters, and yes, they're they're funny, but you also believe them. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you see an actor who's trying to be funny, and you know, in improv, we see this all the time. Mm -hmm. If someone is trying to be funny, you don't believe a word that they're saying. Right. But if they really take what they're saying seriously, mm -hmm. then we're not laughing because they said a funny thing. Right. We're laughing at the ridiculousness and how seriousness, how seriously they're taking that. Well, moment. you know, there's that scene where they're having breakfast and they're putting on butter on yes. the thing. That's well, That was improvised. I know. And that Mike Nichols was laughing so hard off camera that because, you know, he's like, you gotta put the butter on like yeah. your jaw. Men smear. <laughs> Men smear. That whole bit was uh, was completely improvised. Yeah, I, I mean, totally I think a lot of it must have been with those two. Oh yeah, like crazy. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah. Well, I saw the episode <laughs> of Robin Williams and Inside the Actor's Studio, and yes. they they talked about that, and he said that there were some scenes where the director just said, "Okay, just go for it," and and they went for it. Right. 
Well, obviously, you know, uh, Mike Nichols comes from a world of improv too. Mm. So um, with Elaine Mays, so you have that 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 already ingrained in him. You know, he already comes from that background. So he he knows that performers, you just got to give them a little bit of inspiration, mm-hmm. and then they're off to the races. Yeah. You know? my, my father-in-law really loves the birdcage, and his favorite line is when everything's just going to hell at, at the party at the end, <laughs> and then just Robin Williams just has this awkward look, and he just goes, how about those dolphins? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> he loves that. He loves that so much. And that moment where Hank Azaria slips on the soup. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. So much great things yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. But also connected to a really good story, too. Sure. Yeah. So after college, what did you do? Oh, gosh. Um, after college... I worked in corporate America for a little while, mm. uh, and then I moved to New York. Did you really? I did. I did. I did not know that. I did. I moved in 1997, 98, something like that, and then stayed there for a little bit over a year, and I was in a great place. I had a friend who had a friend who had a friend <laughs> who had a rent-controlled apartment, and the rent was literally $480. For a New York apartment, that's incredibly cheap. In Chelsea, on Eighth <laughs> Avenue. Oh wow! Between Twenty First and Twenty Second, yeah. which at even at that time they were going for two grand, mm. um, or whatever it was. I you know, and so but I had to pay a little bit more, but um, I I, sh- I shared an apartment with he was a scene designer, and um, for a little bit, and I stayed in the room that was probably about the size half the size of this. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go bananas um, <laughs> in that room. And I would escape to go to the movies because it was the only place that had air conditioning in the summertime. Really? Yeah, because in New York, you know, my room didn't have AC. Mm. It was one of the older apartments. And so it was so hot that the only way that you could go and get some relief is to go into a building. So I would just like sneak in to like on a Saturday or Sunday. And I would just like watch two or three movies. You and- know what's one thing I've never heard? I've never heard uh, an actor who, when they say they went to New York, uh, they never say, oh, I had a great apartment. Well, I had such a bad apartment that this is a, a true story. So I had never grown up with a gas oven in my entire life. <laughs> really? Never. And so one day I woke up and I thought, oh my God, there's a gas leak because it smells like rotten eggs. That's the whole, that's how you know. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I can smell rotten eggs. I, there's got to be something wrong. There's something going on here. So I call Con Ed, the Con Ed guy, which is Con Edison, which is the, the, the electrician, you know, the, the company, the electrical company. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh my God, I've got to gas leak somebody's got to come right away so this like typical new york you know electrician with the butt crack and the whole mm-hmm. thing comes he's like yeah let me see this you know let me see the whole thing and he finally he goes into my kitchen i'm standing behind him freaking out uh, because i'm thinking the whole place is about to blow up um and he lifts up my oven the oven top you know how you have the oven top in a gas oven he lifts up and there's a dead rat oh my god <laughs> I scream because that's what's been stinking, but I just didn't know that, and right. I thought it was a gas leak. Right. Um, and so that's that was my my New York welcome to New York. Um, yeah. It's not a gas leak; it's a dead rat. Yeah, that's the New York life. Yeah, I always hear every actor say, "My apartment had rats. Yeah. Nothing worked. We had no hot water. It's 
it's amazing that that always tends to be part of every everybody's story. It's when a rite of passage, yeah. you know, that you have a crappy apartment. Yeah. So, what was it that brought you, that brought you to New York? Oh, I I think like everybody, you know, you have you, you want to try it. You mm-hmm. want to test the waters. You want to prove yourself. You want to go out there and 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 take the leap, you know. And as a performer, that and New York is such a a crazy place. Um, and I think that for me at the time, it wasn't the best choice. I think mm-hmm. for me at the time. Um, I was incredibly lonely. It's such a, I mean, for me, I don't mind being alone, but I was lonely Mm -hmm. and I was by myself and I didn't have a huge support system. I had a couple of friends, um, but it wasn't, it it wasn't, everybody's out there for like, they're, you know, looking out for themselves Mm -hmm. and just trying to get ahead. And it was a really tough grind for me. Um, I, you know, I worked downtown, I was temping and doing different jobs and stuff like that, but I was not happy. Mm. I was not happy. And I thought, okay, this isn't what I want. And when I went to an audition and I was literally like number 275, I was like, okay, I'm checking out, you know, I knew that, you know, this is, this is crazy. So I wanted to approach the entertainment industry, but in a different way. And I didn't think that that was the right channel for me. In what way? Did you decide you wanted to approach it? I think, you know, just on my own terms, you mm. know. And for me, I I got, like, when I came back down, I, I did a lot of the, the agent stuff. And I was able to be a part of commercials here, mm. you know, in Miami, do some theater. And also even participate in some, like, shows and things like that. And, like, right now I do a lot of voiceover, which is always exciting. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy that a lot mm-hmm. um and that's something that's kind of like on my own terms mm-hmm. you know what i mean so when did you come back to miami uh right before the towers really yes right before the towers yes wow yeah just uh i guess like a few months before that you know i um visited um i was in a, a touring production uh that toured the um the uh, the upper um east coast or something like that Mm -hmm. and one of our stops was in new york and so i was there for a weekend so i got to walk around manhattan and you know it's my very first time in in manhattan and one of the places i got to walk to and it was a year after 9 11 Mm. and so i got to see the ground zero Mm -hmm. and you know at the time it looked like just this big empty because they had obviously fix some stuff by them, but it just looked like this big, empty, uh, you know, I don't want to say parking lot, but just right. like this this pit right. of, like, soil and, and construction. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's all these walls lined around it with all these, um, you know, memorials and, you know, always remember and all these signatures on yeah. it. But I remember just walking there, and it actually, it actually took me a while to walk there because I, I was walking for, like, an hour and a half, and then I realized I was walking in, in the wrong direction. So I had to walk <laughs> half an hour back. And then when I finally found it, I just took some time to just stand there and just yeah. kind of reflect on yeah. that moment. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, New York is a, it is a magical place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, and obviously, you know, we all want to 
pay pay respects you know especially to to that to that moment mm-hmm. and to that 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 place but uh but also i mean i think it has so much to offer and um it's just a beautiful city that has so much diversity you know yeah so it's it's interesting to see how people um i don't know regard that yeah i suppose but at the same time going back to your point if you want to be an actor you go in there knowing that you're going to be one of 10 million yeah. people that want the exact same thing that you do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a great place. I, I, listen, I know a lot of great people who've done <laughs> wonderful work there, and um, I would definitely go back for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. you got to really see it through. And I don't think that's something that they really prepare you for when, when you go to like acting schools and stuff like that. No, man, it's definitely, you know, you go up there and, you know, you're on your own. And I, th- I think with, like, with everything, you know, it's so important to make connections with people. Oh, yes. You know, and I think that that's something that schools could be a little bit better about mm-hmm. is really connecting people more so that way. I mean, again, this is a while back, so now we have more advances, obviously, um, but it, it you know that way when you get there you already have that home base you have um, a solid foundation of people and resources that you can lean into or reach out to if you ever need it you know what I mean yeah because so many people kind of go out there and then they get deflated and they get you know you know they wish that things would turn out a little bit differently so yeah well that's why I work at a bank <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you join Screen Actors Guild. Probably about maybe 20 years ago, something like that. That long ago? Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, well, I don't even remember what the project that I did to join. I, I think I did some national commercials. Mm. I think that's what got me the card. Um, I was in a Pacific... Oh, I shouldn't even say it. Um, I was in a commercial. Uh, I was in a Pacific Bell commercial. That's what it was. Pacific Bell commercial that why would, why would you not want to say the name? I don't know because it didn't even exist anymore <laughs> because Pacific Bell used to it's like it's the like Pacific Bell and Southern Bell oh okay and yeah. now does now it's Bell it used to be Bell South and now it's mm-hmm. like AT&T or whatever the whoever right. bought it so it doesn't even exist anymore that's how old it I am right. um so yeah I think I just did a bunch of commercials let me ask you this because this is something that I've always wondered about because I'm not a part of any of those unions but one thing I've and this might sound like a dumb question, but one thing I've always thought is when you join Screen Actors Guild mm-hmm. or when you join Actors Equity, mm-hmm. my thinking was that everything opens up for you and mm. you're getting calls left and right. Mm. Is it like that or is that just more of a pipe dream? No, I think there's... So here's how it works. I mean, this might sound a little boring, but I think when you're a Screen Actors Guild, you've already you are saying that you are a professional actor to certain producers and whatnot, and it lets them know that you are a trained professional, and therefore that league of actors is a great pool of actors to be a part of, as opposed to non-union actors, mm-hmm. where you know they're kind of the up and coming, if you will, a lot mm-hmm. of times. Uh, and yeah, absolutely, there are a lot of productions because any television production, any theatrical production, they are part of the Screen Actors Guild. Mm. Um, so those opportunities are 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 
are something that you can now be eligible for, if you will. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a non-union actor, you can audition for those, but the likelihood of you getting access to those is a little bit harder sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes it can be. Usually the Screen Actors Guilds are the ones that, that get to be seen first, if you will. Right, for of course. For those jobs and stuff. But you still have to be in a market that's more accessible to those to those kind of... Oh, right. I mean, it doesn't make yeah. everything easy. No, no, of course not. No, it just gives you a little bit of a push further to the end yes. of the line. But right. it still doesn't mean you're going to get the bread at the end of the line. Right, exactly. You still got to audition. You still got to go to a callback. You still got to right. dazzle them. Exactly. You got to do all that stuff. Exactly. And be professional. Uh, did you also join Actors' Equity or just... No, I did not. No, no. Okay. At that time, I was just focusing more on like the film stuff and yeah. the television stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've definitely done a lot of uh, <clears throat> film and TV stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, well, you were recently in a, in a commercial that was on the Super Bowl. I was. Yes. Yes. It was actually for uh, Telemundo. Yes, it was. It was to promote the World Cup. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. So there was it was a combination of Telemundo um, and, and, and the World Cup, and mm-hmm. uh, that was fun. And you were in a backyard with some other people yelling, goal. Yeah, we were, I was a dog walker. <laughs> I was a dog walker in a park, and we were yelling, goal uh, for um, the... Obviously, the promoting the all the all the action that happens with the World Cup. Yeah, there is a picture on your Facebook, and I'm sure it's a it's a very popular picture. It's you standing next to Amy Poehler. <gasps> oh God, yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Oh jeez, LT. Oh gosh, and my hair's dirty, and I'm wearing dirty sneakers. You can't see it, but that's the truth. Um. That is true. So here's an interesting uh, little tidbit on that. Um, I got a call from my agent um, and said, this is literally what the agent said, how tall are you? And I said, how tall do you want me to be? (laughs) And they said, are you 5'2"? I said, yes, I'm 5'2". And then their next words were, "Uh, what's your passport number? And I'm like, I have a job for you tomorrow. And I thought, my passport number? Yeah, we just need to know. uh, You just need to have security clearance for something. Mm. I thought, okay, well, tomorrow, who who would I need security clearance for? Oh, no, it's just a a shoot that you'll be doing. But we need for you to wear a dark suit. And you're actually going to go in and be a stand-in for somebody. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. A stand-in for somebody, security clearance. I said, okay, so here's my passport number. I gave him my passport number. And then I said, well, what am I doing? Oh, well, we'll let you know. So then finally get a call later. And they said, listen, um, uh, just show up at this address at 7 a.m. Uh, bring your suit and don't bring anything else. And I said, well, what am I doing? We'll let you know. Okay. And you still said yes. And to of this. course, I, yeah, of course. I said yes. To this. <laughs> so I go to this location. Now, if you know anything about filming, it's, it's, there's trucks and cables and gaffers. I mean, there's just movement, even at five o'clock in the yeah. morning. So I get to this park in the middle of Miami and there's no one there. There's literally no cars, no park. There's no, nothing. And I'm like, what's going on? And so finally, this one other car shows up. It's in another actor. I said, are you an actor? Oh yeah, I'm an actor. They just have, no, I don't know anything either. So finally, another guy shows up and he says, uh, listen, uh, just guys, hang tight. We're going to be with you for a moment. We'll be with you in a moment. And I said, okay, why are we here? Oh, we can't tell you yet. 
Okay. So now a third actor shows up. So now it's three actors. A guy, this beautiful uh, tall lady, um, and, and myself. And I said, what's going on? Oh, we don't know either. Okay, so now all of a sudden things are starting to kind of, you know, uh, shuffle in, you know, all these uh, trucks and things. And then they finally, they said, well, look, just bring your stuff and uh, show up here, you know, go, go to this building. And I said, well, what, where are we, what, what are we doing? I said, well, I'm not going to go in there until you tell me what it is. We can't tell you yet. So finally, I said, okay, I get my stuff. And they said, and leave your cell phone in the car. I said, what's going on? He said, listen, we can't tell you because it's a matter of national security. I said, what? So it turns out that we were shooting a scene with First Lady Michelle Obama. Really? Yes. And I was Amy Poehler's stand-in. Because inside this recreation center, they were setting up the scene. So it was obviously Amy Poehler, Michelle Obama, and the other actor. And so they needed to work the camera angles, the lighting. Everything had to be absolutely perfect. So that when Michelle Obama arrived, she was literally going to come in, shoot her scene, and she was out. Mm. It literally took longer to set up because we had to wait two and a half hours for the Secret Service, the the dogs, the bomb squad, everybody to come in and sweep the house, sweep right, the whole yeah. place in order to make sure that it was safe. Wow. And so I ended up being a stand-in for Michelle Obama. Uh, for, for, sorry, Amy for Amy Poehler. Yeah. With her scene with... Uh, with uh, with Michelle, Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama during Parks and Rec. So this is not a, a, a typical scenario. This is like a first-time thing that you've ever experienced where you had to get passport numbers and clearance yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, and the funny thing is I had dirty hair because I was like, well, if I'm just going to stand in for somebody, I don't have to, you know, do anything, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't really care, so I had dirty hair and I had dirty sneakers and that taught me to never show up anywhere with dirty sneakers <laughs> or with dirty hair because you <laughs> never know. Um, and so... And the thing is, we couldn't take our cell phones inside because the Secret Service says, you know, they said, if you take out your phone, we will tackle you. Mm. I mean, there was no, they don't play around. Right. These guys are, um, they mean business. And yeah. so you could not take out your phone at all. And that was pretty impressive. Well, I'll ask you the most obvious question. <laughs> what was Michelle Obama like? Uh, she was lovely. She was just as as effervescent and as friendly as you see her, mm -hmm. she really is. Um, she's just very delightful. She came in, she did her scene, and then she was out. Of you know, just a consummate professional. You can tell. And same question for Amy Poehler. Uh, sweetheart, yeah. I mean, we were all kind of trapped in this room because we had to wait. It didn't matter who you were. We had to wait for the security um, and the Secret Service and the bomb dogs to kind of go out, you know, to finish doing their job. Mm. And uh, and she was just wonderful. And she was, you know, giggling. And I didn't want to broach her or talk to her too much because I knew that she was nervous. You know what I mean? Like, I was she nervous? Well, I didn't want to. I want to say if she was nervous, but I don't want to speak. Like, you know, say that that she was, but I wanted to respect her space mm. because she was about to do a scene with her, right? And I wanted her to feel calm and relaxed. You know what I mean? It, yeah. I'm sure it was a big deal for her. Yeah. So I said, you know what? Let me reserve anything that if I want to talk to her for afterwards, and that's yeah. why you have that picture because it's outside of the right. building. Um, right outside of the trailers. Yeah, and no one tackled you for taking a picture <laughs> with Amy Poehler. Nobody tackled me. Nobody tackled me. She does seem like she really is the type of person that you see on TV and movies. 
You know, she looks like she's a genuinely good-hearted person. Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of people that, you hear these stories all the time. On TV, oh, they're lovely, they're great, but off camera, they're just mean and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. I'm sure you must have experienced that plenty of times. Absolutely. I'm not going to say names because that would be rude. Um, But I think it's so important that we be kind to each other because Mm -hmm. you never know. I remember I snuck onto a set when I was 16 years old and it was a very big A-list actor Mm -hmm. at the time and I was just being nice to this person. I said hello and I was trying to be very respectful but they were just so rude and you know and I know that they're working and everything but at the same time you have to you, you never know who you might run into. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I just think that people can be so rude, especially... There is this sort of meanness that's consistent in, in show business. And I don't think it's just with A-list actors, but also like with directors and agents and casting directors, which I, I never understand why they don't want to treat people at, like human beings. <sighs> what is the answer to that? I don't know. I don't know. You know, real, I'll share this story really yeah, quickly. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had an agent, and the agent had never seen me, like, mm. in person for some reason. But she called me and said, uh, hey, there's a, there's, they're looking for actors for a, for a photo shoot for a, for a cruise line. And then her next line was, how do you look in a bathing suit? <laughs> and I said, very honestly, not good. Right, right. And she said, well, they're looking for normal looking people. So I'm going to go ahead and send you out and, you know, bring your, your bathing suit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right. well, okay. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 20s and I'm trying to live the dream, but right. my agent sends me there. So I go to the, uh, uh, the casting studio and, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people who you know, could easily be in any swimsuit picture, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the casting agent, I, I guess she was, I, I didn't get her name, but she's everything that you would imagine her to be. I mean, she had curly hair, and she was just, like, mean-spirited and go, okay, next two, come on, and just really just treat it. You hear, you hear the term cattle call? Yeah. She really did treat everyone like cattle. Yeah. And so finally... um, I'm called along with this this other attractive woman mm-hmm. who was nice to me. And so we go in and she says to the two of us, uh, okay, uh, uh, get, get into your swimsuits. Right. You know, I had my swimsuit underneath and she had her swimsuit underneath. So we're, we're um, you know, taking our over clothes off. Mm-hmm. And she's like, come on, come on, hurry up. And so finally I take my, my shirt off and I'm showing my underwear. Mm-hmm. Uh, not my underwear, my <laughs> bathing suit, excuse and me. You, that didn't get you the part? No, no. <laughs> no, so, so I'm down in my bathing suit and then the casting agent look at, looks at me and she goes, Ugh. Just like that. Isn't that terrible? And then she goes, you are not right for this role. And so, okay, I put my clothes yeah. back on and I walked out. And the girl I was there with, she, she felt so bad for me. Yeah. And then I found out later on that she called my agent and she said, how could you send a fat guy to this uh, to this casting call? Oh, isn't that terrible? Yeah, this business is harsh. Mm-hmm. It's harsh. And it's And it's wrong. That's the whole point, is that we shouldn't be treating people like that. Right. You know, and I think that's why, you know, in auditions and stuff like that, we we really should be better about about treating people with a little bit more respect, yeah. I think, it's, you know. And who's to say, you know, the cli- what the client wants? You don't right. know that, you know. Right, exactly. 
That's that's a tough one. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I I had enough ice cream and I moved on from yeah, that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> We've all done that. We're like, yeah. okay, three pizza slices in. I feel better. Yeah, exactly. I know. Well, now let's transition into how you discovered improv. So when did you make that discovery? Ah, uh, so... Uh, I believe it was 2007, 2000, the top of 2008. And I had obviously, you know, I had done theater, had done some commercials and, um, but, uh, I was, uh, married for a couple of years and I was like, well, you know what? I would really like to get back into theater. I'd like to do something, but I know my commitment wasn't to, you know, I couldn't overcommit to, to doing too many shows and stuff like that. And so I, Finally, I found, I came across just the funny. Someone told me about it, and when I walked in, I was in awe. To be completely honest, I thought that was the last thing I expected to see this little red gem of a theater. Um, when I came up the stairs, and I thought, "Oh my God, where has this place been? This is the cutest little place." And uh, and so I took you know classes in two thousand and eight and 2009 or 2008 and then I became a cast member in 2009 yeah you well you took classes with me I, did I yeah I remember you you were one of my students you were one of my early students oh my god was I which what oh my god I was probably like just a couple of handful of yes maybe it was like improv two or three maybe you know I, I don't remember I, I know so I taught you but yes. I can't really remember if it was a class or a workshop or maybe a drop-in. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. And so yeah. uh, we had, I had a lot of different teachers, you know, obviously. Right. Um, and it was such a great experience. And um, and then I kind of like, oh, wow. I, I actually grew a huge respect for improv because I thought, oh, well, improv, you know, acting without a script, oh, this isn't really theater, blah, 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 whatever. Mm. And then I got schooled really quickly when I saw people like you and and so many other great people, you know, hitting the stage. And I was like, wow, this is impressive how this beautiful dance kind of happens mm. of, of not knowing what's going to come next. And, and just, you know, the how it just unfolds in front of your eyes, you know? Did you happen to see any other improv before coming here? Or was this like your first time? Uh, I I did see some, a couple of other places, you know, in Hollywood, Florida, up mm. there. And I explored some other groups. But this was kind of like the one where it kind of just felt like, oh, this is, this must be it. Yeah. This must be it for me. Yeah. Well, that was 2008. Mm-hmm. And now here we are at 2023. Mm. I know. And you're still a huge part of this theater because now you've been directing and yes. you've been teaching, yeah. and now you're also part of this theater's management yeah. as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and just part of uh, the whole family of just the funny, and um, obviously teaching and performing and directing, and um, VP of education for several years as mm-hmm. well, and just part of the fabric that keeps this place going, you yeah. know? I want to ask you this, because I felt this is very true of me, and um, and David kind of uh, agrees, because he had a similar experience, but with your time in learning improv and developing, your, developing yourself as an improviser, mm-hmm. do you feel like that has really 
made a major has been a major influence on your acting all around oh gosh yeah in what way how has improv impacted my your acting yeah absolutely i think it comes back to simple partnership Mm -hmm. you know in every single scene in every single play movie production you are on stage with somebody else Mm -hmm. and that ability to connect with somebody that give and take with somebody is really special and I think that improv makes you so hyper aware of what that person's giving you at that moment whether it's a wink and a smile whether it's you know a different mood and for us as improvisers we're so in attuned to that mm-hmm. and because we know that that's that is all we need to kind of you know rev up and, and you know and get going we just need that little something that little glimmer of of emotion or whatnot from our partner to kind of get it going so I think that improv and all that it has all that it offers is the ability to feel comfortable on stage with somebody and the confidence that it brings you know to you to perform more easily with somebody else in any scenario Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what an actor is all about Mm-hmm. You know, it it goes back to that. It goes back to feeling, to performance and uh, and feeling confident in the role that you've been given, working with somebody else and working with little information and just going off of that. Would you say that it would be beneficial for every actor to have at least one class in, in improv? Oh my God, yes. And every single program that I've ever been associated with, they all offer an improv class. Mm-hmm. It's essential. And here's the reality of it, you know, going back to castings, every single casting that you that I've been to, even though you're not supposed to do improv or whatever, they always, you know, throw you a scenario and then you've got mm-hmm. to do it. Right. So that right there, that skill set of, of quickly, of, of working quickly is, is something that's essential. Yeah. Well, I think in recent years, improv has been a lot more in the forefront. Because we're seeing all these people like Amy Poehler and right. Tina Fey and Steve Carell and mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert. And these are people who didn't go to Juilliard. Mm-mm. These are people who studied at Second City. Right. And everyone's seeing what great performers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they start at SNL and all these other comedy shows. But then they transition and do all these other great things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's because of people like them that people are seeing, oh, wow, there's a lot I can get from improv, and it's not just about doing funny makeup-ups. There, mm-hmm. there is something, there is something real here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there are so many great actors that have come from you know the, the school of of, of, of improv um, just because of that. Because I think that we're so we're so malleable. We we adjust so quickly. And in reality is actors, you need to be able to adjust, adjust on the fly all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and I think improv actors are so accustomed to, you know, just hitting whatever comes their way. You know what I mean? And so that's that skill set that's so important that sometimes 
skilled actors of Juilliard and mm-hmm. you know this that and the other and all these other schools they don't have that yeah well you know when I when I was talking to David mm-hmm. uh, I talked about how in the later seasons of Whose Line Is It Anyway mm-hmm. they would do this thing where in some pieces they would bring in some actor from like TV shows mm-hmm. who had been so accustomed to scripted work right. and they figured this would help like boost ratings or something like that and so we're in the scene and they start mm-hmm. and they just freeze right they have like no idea what to do so Wayne Brady and Colin Moffrey, right. they, got, they literally have to help them through. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, David described it as they're so used to that process. Yes. You know? Yeah. No, they are. I mean, that, that's the thing. They're, they're used to the, the, you know, the lines being written in there. Mm-hmm. You know, the jokes, there's a setup and then there's a joke and it's all there and they just have to deliver. Whereas in improv, you're doing all of that in real time. Yeah, they're used to knowing what's going to happen. Correct. But pretending they didn't know that was going to happen. Right, exactly. Yeah, and what I love so much about improv is that it, it really is being in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, it's a living moment that you're experiencing and that we get to watch you live in that moment. And it doesn't, and it doesn't ever exist again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like a show where you know you're going to have the line, you're going to have the ending, it's scripted work, whereas this, it's like, that's it. It's out there. It's like a bubble. It just floats, and then it pops, and then you'll never see that scene ever again. Yeah. I I heard uh, Joe Bill say once, the best thing about an improv scene and the worst thing about an improv scene <laughs> is that it's over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of Joe Bill, I think also I think Mark Sutton had said something um, what that kind of stuck with me was that it's this dance of discovery and I kind of like, maybe it's because I love dance and I I kind of mm-hmm. felt those words kind of fell on me. Um and I don't, maybe he quoted, he's quoting somebody else, but I always remembered that. And I just love that, that yeah. kind of back and forth of you're going to just discover this thing together. Yeah. Yeah. What has your experience been teaching improv? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So and what made you decide you wanted to also teach as well? Uh, well, at the time I taught, uh, I first started teaching the summer camp here uh, one year. And that was because the company needed to have a summer camp. And so I, I, you know, I did that and that was fun. And then after that, I started teaching regularly all the, all the levels of improv and beyond. And it was exciting to me because like you, you know, this as adults, we are so trained not to have fun anymore. You, so true. you know what I mean? It's like we're, we're, we're told that we can't imagine that we can't play anymore and for me, uh, I love improv because it uh, gives us permission to be playful with one another again and kind of go back to that childhood. And so when I teach, I, I, I always tell my students that it's kind of like when you were a kid and you would go to a party with a whole bunch of other kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is before computers and stuff like that. And you just have a whole bunch of kids and be like, OK, well, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, they would all be playing, you know, cops and robbers or they would be playing together because they all understood that language of play of let's just do this thing together oh okay and then we just like band together and then they would just go do a thing Mm -hmm. and i think that's what it is it's like you know kids coming together on the playground and like okay we're just gonna do this Mm -hmm. you know did that also inspire you to uh teach acting uh at other places because you also you're currently teaching at at uh acting uh where uh i teach at the new york film academy Mm -hmm. so i've taught uh there for about four years now 
and I teach all levels of acting for film, uh, scene study, uh, the business of acting. I teach all kinds of courses there. Do you find a difference between teaching improv and teaching uh, other types of acting? For sure, yeah. Well, obviously, improv is a, a good fundamental, right? Uh, but then when you go into certain uh, techniques of acting and uh, different approaches or... Um, obviously, when now you're dealing with script work, number one, and also you're dealing with the art of film and how to modulate your performance to that frame mm -hmm. and to the framing of a scene. So, yeah, there is... Uh, that technique where you have to okay well this is a wide shot or this is an extreme close-up so how does that change your performance so you have to let kids I say kids but you have to let students experience that and what what does that look like but still the work has to be done mm -hmm. the, in, the internalization and the work of that has mm -hmm. to be done you have also been very much involved in helping with the production of the Miami Improv Festival. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. along with David yeah. and also and, and Rick with Minaris, Rick Munari, yeah. the other manager. Yeah. What has what is that experience like? And I, and I imagine it's always a little different every year. But what is that experience like for you? Uh, it's crazy, and it's uh, it's it's like a, 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 a what do you call those? Like a Grand Prix. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, like all these things are <laughs> happening at the same time. Um, no, it is a wonderful uh, a team of obviously myself uh, and in the past, uh, David Christopher and um, and Rick Munaris. And uh, we've come come together and uh, obviously putting that thing together is always a lot of work. But uh, we've come and we've had submissions from different people you know from different parts of the country coming together to represent and it's always exciting to see that and meet all these wonderful performers from all mm. over and that I think is the most exciting is to be influenced by all these different performers I mean you know you've been a part of that um, you've performed in it I mean my gosh we've performed in you know been a part of that um, and it's it's exciting to see that brotherhood of improv, you know, kind of come together in the room, and you see so many different uh, shows uh, from all over, and you get to meet these people and take master classes, obviously. So mm. it's always an exciting, exciting time. And then obviously we have these wonderful parties and things that happen after hours. I'm going to ask you a question that I also asked David on on the topic of the festival because. Mm -hmm. You have had the experience that not too many of us get, which is being able to meet firsthand these people who are, there's no other way to say it, celebrities within the world of, of improv. You know, you've actually got to share the stage with Stacey Halal in her show Ruby Rocket. I know. And, you know, you, you've gotten to meet Joe Bill and Mark sure. Sutton and Susan Messing and all yeah. these wonderful people. For you, what is it like for you personally to meet these people who are demigods in, in improv? Uh, well, I think that, first of all, for me, I wouldn't say a demigod, but I definitely hold them high on, with high esteem mm -hmm. for me. Um, it's, I, I really look up to people like that because they they help shape the scene of improv in their cities 
and now they're bringing a piece of that to us and the best part about meeting people like that is how open they are and mm. how giving they are and you know this LD I mean we've all met and talked to them and and to me that is what I cherish the most I really cherish the bonds and the friendships that we have with these people because sometimes we want to keep things to ourselves you know what I mean but reality is that we have to let loose and we have to share these experiences and we have to share our knowledge with other people um, and they do do that um, you know uh, Stacy Halal and Mark Sutton and Joe Bill and Susan uh, Messing have all been just very giving and nurturing people and uh, and all and, and obviously Terity Francisco as well and Rance Rizzuto who's also mm -hmm. been part of that right um, they've come in here and they just give themselves give a piece of who they are in the hopes that we will take that and now infect other people if you will you yeah. know what I mean yeah and that's and that for me was a huge part is having these people come down and um, and just be so open and giving with their words of wisdom and showing us who they are as performers because that inspires us and that's really what live performance is about mm -hmm. you know is seeing somebody and being so inspired that you're like I need to do that I want to do that I want to give a piece of who I am as well like they are and I think that's what's so attractive about it. Is that what compels you to do uh, what you do? That feeling of giving back and sharing with people? Yes, I think so. Because sometimes I'm, I get in my head, like a lot of performers are like, oh, maybe I should, oh, you know, I'm a little nervous. or mm -hmm. And then you start to worry. But I think that if we shift the focus on the fact that, hey, I've got something to offer. Mm -hmm. I have something to give tonight. I'm going to share this wonderful story. I don't know what it is yet, mm -hmm. but I'm going to share this wonderful character, this wonderful story, or this wonderful experience with these people in this room and this room only. Yeah. And then that's it. And that, it stays encapsulated. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love is that intimacy of only you guys get to experience this and nobody else. Yeah, and even if you were to videotape that and watch it back, it's still not, not exact. No, it's not the exact same thing. Don't you, you couldn't pay me to watch improv on video. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, we, I think we all experienced that on COVID, you know, and yeah. the Zoom stuff. And we're just like, mm -hmm. I'm not doing improv on Zoom. Um, but yeah, that's where it comes in. It's like it has to live in that space, in that theater space. And that's where it should stay. Yeah. Well, I think even audiences are very amazed by how alive improv is. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, we love watching plays and we love watching musicals. And, you know, obviously, you know, we everyone goes to movies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But to actually be in the presence of something that is happening before us, nothing beats that experience. And I think that's what has kept me here. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of which, you know... Here you are now in 2023, mm -hmm. and you are such a you've become such a big part of this theater, mm -hmm. and you're part now of this big legacy because, you know, next year this theater celebrates 25 years. I know. As you look back on all of your time here, you know, as you reflect on what you've learned and what you've experienced, 
all of the wonderful things and, you know, mm-hmm. some of the not-so-wonderful things. But what do you think about as you reflect on all of the years that you've spent here? Mm. Oh, gosh. Um, I've met some pretty great people. I've met some great people. Um, I love um, how much of a family that we are. Um, You know, we've all been through so much. Um, Yeah, it feels like it's it's been something that we've built together, you know, and obviously every year we increase our, you know, our students, we do more shows, we expand our programming, we grow our cast. I mean, we've done Spanish shows, we're doing Shakespeare, we're doing hip hop, we're doing just so much. And to me, um, it feels really good to know that we can bring laughter to people and that we can help people feel good um, and that we can, you know, just bring a little joy into somebody's life or, you know, for one night, you know, and, and that's exciting. And that's really what it's all about, I think, is about live performance and just being um, a little burst of sunshine and joy and laughter to somebody's day. I think it's exciting. It really has been enjoyable for me to see how you have progressed here. Mm. You know, and because you are definitely not the same person that you were before, you know, and, and I say that in a good way. Am I better? Well, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I, well, I mean, I have some notes, but. Yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks. Of course. Of course you do. But, you know, I mean, it, it's so wonderful how you stepped in and it's like, it's almost as if improv itself kind of called to you, mm. which is very similar to the experience that I had. Um, the fact that it called you and you've answered that call and you've right. continued with it, it's it's just wonderful to see. Yeah. And I, I there's so many great experiences that I that I've shared with you on stage. I know we yeah. did. And I would say one of my most recent fondest memories is a show that you, me, and David developed that we've been taking on the road called yes. To Beat or Not To Beat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> with with one exception, I think you can be a lot meaner. <laughs> I will work on my meanness. Yeah, I will say I've seen you do a lot of things on stage, but being being mean to people, I think you need work on. Uh, some people <laughs> would differ. Uh, some people will think differently on that one. Um, yeah, okay. No, <laughs> noted. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could do it. Yeah. Um, we are just about out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I've learned I've learned so much about you. Yeah, I've learned a lot about you too. This is amazing. What a, this is just really so cool, LD. This Thanks. is amazing. Thank you. Well, I have no idea where this is going to lead to, but it's an idea that I had, and I figured, you know what? Let me just try it. Um, but I want to end with uh, with one final question, and I'm asking everyone this final question. Okay. And this doesn't have to be just related to improv. It can be related to anything. What's the one piece of advice that has served you well that you want everyone else to hear? Oh, wow. Be you. Mm. Be be who you are. Um, I think that so many times we try to be somebody else. 
we try to emulate the people that we admire but the reality of it is is that there will only be one you nobody else will ever sound like you look like you have your personality and in ever ever there will nobody there will never be anybody who who is all of you so you are unique and you should always share that with the world share that that uniqueness with everybody and yeah. be accepting of yourself of that yeah it's kind of like what uh, what Dave Rosowski says mm. you you are enough exactly yeah. you are enough absolutely yeah. I think that's a perfect place to end yeah thank you so much Marlene thank you LD this has been absolutely wonderful yeah and yeah. you know what we'll probably do this again I would love that yeah we should definitely keep uh, to be continued dot 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 <laughs> exactly thank you Marlene alright thank you goodbye bye Wow, I love all of the heart and love there was in this conversation. It was such a fun time, and I hope we all remember Marlene's advice. Be you. Thanks again, Marlene, and thanks again to all of you for listening in and taking this little journey with me. Learn more about Marlene at her website, www.marlenemarcos.com, where you can find out about her workshops on acting and improv. And as always, you can find out some more about me at my website, www.togetherbymyself.com where you can learn more about my solo improv shows and the solo improv workshops that I do. Thanks everybody and see you next time on Improv and Magic.